Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message. I come to church because I want to meet Jesus, and I want to be around the people of God, and I want to be different when I leave than when I came in. I expect to be changed. And that means I'm submitting myself to the word of God in order to work inside of me and to transform something about me. So if you're willing to do that, would you just turn your hands up towards the Lord? Or you can throw them up like you're surrendering and you're giving up and, you, and God, you can do whatever you want. Lord, all over this place, we surrender. We submit ourselves to you. God, if you want to change our minds, change them. Lord, if you want to speak to us, Lord, I pray you give us ears to hear you. God, if you want to change our affections, our hearts, our passions, we ask you to change them. Give us soft hearts today in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask that you would have your way in this house and be the only spirit of power. And Lord God, I pray for myself that you would give me eloquence of speech and clarity of thought. And Holy Spirit, you would fill me and speak through me so that nothing of the flesh would come through my mouth to cause any harm in this place. Now I pray for your word and your spirit to reign here, and we submit to it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Anybody in here ever feel like you were getting persecuted for doing the right thing? Somebody laughed. You're like, yeah, like every day, because I'm in the military. <laughs> right? Yeah, like every day. If, if you've never been persecuted for doing the right thing, you haven't tried it yet. You are going to get persecuted for doing the right thing. The Bible actually promises that we're going to be persecuted for doing the right thing because peace with the devil is enmity with God. And peace with God is enmity with the devil. So when I pick sides, I also pick enemies. Did you hear what I said? When I pick sides, I also pick enemies. If I don't have an enemy, I haven't picked sides yet. You guys with me? Okay, so when I was a kid, um, my best friend was named Jimmy. I was in about fourth grade, lived in El Paso, Texas, and uh, Jimmy's dad was a taxidermist. We hung out and had fun all the time, but Jimmy's sister was the devil incarnate. I swear to you, this kid hated my guts. I think she trained all of her animals to bite me. Like she had this gerbil that would get out and I'd be looking for a toy or something and it would like attack me and bite through my finger. Like she had a cat that would bite. All of her animals attacked me and I, I'm sure it's because she was in league with Lucifer. So I hated this kid. She was so mean to me. She never said a nice word. So I was walking home from his house one time and I had to walk through a field in El Paso. A field is basically scrub brush and tumbleweeds and cactuses. So I'm walking through the desert, scrub brush, tumbleweeds and cactuses, and I hear this, like, this argument, this fight, voices going on, and I look up and it's Jessica and these two guys. So there's a, there's a family in the neighborhood that I lived and three brothers were like the bully brothers. Do you have anybody like that in, in, your, in your neighborhood? These three brothers, they were all bigger than everybody else. Two of them were older than me. One of them was in my grade. And they all, I don't know why this was even fair, but they all had beautiful black long hair, like, you know, Lou Diamond Phillips in uh, uh, Young Guns. They look like Lou Diamond Phillips in Young Guns with their beautiful hair and their beautiful faces, but their mean little dark hearts. So they all did martial arts and they'd carry nunchucks with them and they carry throwing stars and they used them on the kids in the neighborhood. They were really mean kids. So these two of these brothers are having an argument with Jessica. I'm walking by and they're fighting with each other and I look up and I swear this wasn't a good thing to do but my first thought was they deserve each other and I just kept walking. <laughs> but then as I'm walking, she started screaming. 
So she starts screaming, and I look up again, and I realize one of the brothers is holding her so she can't get away, and the other one is touching her in ways that she shouldn't be touched. And I thought, oh, I hate Jessica. But then I thought, but this is Jimmy's little sister. And so I started walking across the field, and I said, hey, leave her alone. Although I was a little kid, so it probably sounded more like, hey, ha, 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 leave her alone. You know, so, <laughs> so hey, leave her alone. This, <laughs> me being tough probably sounded like Mickey Mouse. So I said, hey, leave her alone. And, and one of the kids said, uh, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I came up closer. I said, leave her alone. And the big brother pulled her aside and shoved me. And the other one, I didn't see, had a pipe along the side of his leg. And when, when one of them shoved me, the other one came around and, and nailed me with that pipe. And I dropped like a, uh, I dropped like a bag of flour, Poof, hit the ground. But I've told you guys before, I had a little anger problem, and it started out when I was a little kid. So as soon as that guy clocked me, that thing went off, and I, I popped up like the Tasmanian devil and fur and feathers, and I mean, it, it was on like Donkey Kong. So I, I actually don't have very much of a memory of what happened after that. I just remember coming to and, and shaking and, and crying because of the adrenaline dump, right? So that day... I did something right, but I also made an enemy of the meanest kids on the block for the rest of the time that I lived there. Doing the right thing doesn't mean it's always going to work out great for you. In fact, doing the right thing sometimes means that you're going to make enemies with the meanest guys on the block. Gustave Flaubert said this, he says, you can calculate the worth of a man by the number of his enemies. If hell isn't your enemy, you're not worth much of a man in terms of Christianity. Sorry. If you don't have enemies, you don't have character. That's Paul Newman. He makes salad dressing now. (laughs) Jesus said this. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And Josh read this last week. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. And, and what I want to say is, usually doing good means it costs you something. Usually the easy way out is not necessarily the moral way out, right? So doing good, I have to calculate. It's going to cost me something. He says, just as Christ suffered for you, he's your example, and you must follow in his steps. In other words, it's a noble thing to make an enemy by doing the right thing, right? But it doesn't mean it still doesn't hurt when he cracks you in the head with a pipe. Why am I saying this? Because we're going through the books of the Thessalonians, and you can't understand 1st and 2nd Thessalonians unless you understand that these people have made an enemy of hell. And when they made an enemy of hell, he came out swinging with a pipe. And they're getting hammered and hammered and hammered and hammered. And I don't know if you've ever done something like this, but, but when, you, when you choose sides and you begin to suffer, it makes you begin to ask questions. Like, did I do the right thing? Was, was, I, was I hornswoggled by this whole Christianity thing? Because I kind of thought when I chose Jesus that everything was going to be smooth after that. But it kind of seems like I kicked a hornet's nest by picking Jesus' team. Have you ever felt like that? 
So the entire chapter of 1 Thessalonians 2 is Paul talking to the Thessalonians, and he's reminding them, listen, remember, I, I didn't share the gospel with flattery. Remember that? Remember, I wasn't trying to get anything out of it for myself. Why is he doing this? He goes through and he defends his ministry. I didn't take any money from you guys. The reason he's doing it is because they're going, did we just buy bad real estate? Because as soon as we made the, the decision for Jesus, like, our lives got hard. They actually got harder. And so 1 Thessalonians 2, he's trying to explain to them, guys, I know sometimes it makes you want to quit, but you did the right thing. Have you ever had a moment like that? Like, maybe this is harder than not knowing Jesus. Any honest people in the house? You know what? When, when Jennifer and I, we were praying for a year straight about whether or not to come to Alaska. And since we've come to Alaska, our finances have been nailed. Our health has been nailed. Our relationships have been nailed. Everything has been attacked. And so when that happens, it makes you go, did we, did we make a bad decision? Oh, Jennifer says, you and I are doing great. Okay, thank God. I'm good with Jesus. I'm good with Jen. Thank God. But it causes you to go, wait a second. Did I make the right decision? And so just last week I was praying, God, did I goof up? Did I make a bad decision or did I make a right decision? And you know what? He, he reassured me. The reason you're being attacked is because you did what I asked you to do. And if you do what God asked you to do, sometimes... It's going to irritate hell. Congratulations. You are irritating the right people. That's the side you want to be on. So this is what the Thessalonians are dealing with. Sometimes it makes you wonder whether or not the end of the world is coming. Have you ever thought, how could the world get any worse than this? Have you ever had that thought? Come on, you liars. Has anybody ever thought, how can the world get any worse than this? Jesus must be coming back. Anybody ever thought that? This is so terrible, Jesus. Okay, just so you know, 2,000 years ago, the Thessalonians were asking this question. They were going, surely Jesus is coming back. So when he's speaking to the Thessalonians, Paul explains to them, no, this is how you'll know when Jesus is coming back. Well, probably the rapture is going to happen any minute. No, this is how you know when the rapture is going to happen. So the, the letters are Jesus telling them, it's okay you guys are doing great. You made the right decision. I understand it hurts, and it's all for a reason, okay? The letters of First and Second Thessalonians are to a persecuted church. And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't feel it yet, you and I are either being or we are going to be persecuted. You guys okay? The question is, did we make a bad decision? When you turn to Jesus, did you make a bad decision or did you make a good decision? You know, the Bible warns us over and over again. Look at this. This is 2 Timothy 3.12. says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, see that word, will suffer persecution. It, does it say might suffer persecution? No, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. And if you're not suffering some kind of persecution, maybe it's okay to up your game a little bit and want more of a godly life in Christ Jesus. This is really interesting. I've never heard an altar call where somebody said, if you want to know Jesus today, I want to invite you to receive him as your Lord and as your King, but I just want you to know you're going to get your butt kicked for it. Nobody ever tells you that. But you know what? Paul told them in 2 Timothy, 
if you want to live for Jesus, it's going to cost you something. Jesus said this in John 15, 19 through 21, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. Did, did you know you got purchased out of the world and you belong to Jesus now? He says, I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is no greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, watch this, they, what is that word? Will persecute you. And if they'd listen to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they've rejected the one who sent me. The, one, if you, the more I look like Jesus, the more I'm going to get persecuted. And the more the church looks like Jesus, the more it's going to be persecuted. The more your marriage looks like Jesus, the more it's going to be persecuted. Can I give you a word from the Lord? If you're having marriage problems, your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. If you're having marriage problems, it's because there is an enemy that when he looks at you, sees Jesus Christ. And so he has to destroy the thing that looks like the image of God. And your marriage is the image of God. So he attacks your marriage. Step back for a minute and go, my, my, my wife is not my enemy. My husband is not my enemy. My enemy is trying to take me away from my wife or my husband, trying to destroy my marriage. Guys, it's time to step up against the bully. I'd rather have an enemy than a bully. How about you? You guys are so quiet. Matthew 5, 11 through 12. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Does it say, does it say that people will, uh, God will bless you if people mock you? It says when. But watch this. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Oh, thanks. That's really reassuring. They got sewn in half and crucified and things like that. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that, Jesus. That makes me feel a lot better. The reason I'm reading these things to you is because Jesus told us it was coming. And I just want you to know Christianity has been comfortable for a really long time. And it's set us up to be persecuted. And it set us up to be very, very weak when we are persecuted. So when we sense persecution, because we've had this concept that once I receive Jesus, everything's going to be right. I'm not going to have any more trouble in the world. So when we have trouble, we turn away from Jesus because we think Jesus is the problem. Rather than realizing, no, Jesus is not the problem. The problem is I've got an enemy and the enemy hates that I took ground in the name of Jesus Christ, and he's going to contend for it. Okay, seven people thought that was a good idea. All seven of you guys, let's meet after church. We're going to pray for the rest of these people, okay? <laughs> Jesus told you it's coming, so get ready. So that's why in First and Second Thessalonians, this is exactly who Paul is talking about. He's talking to a bunch of people who are going through difficult times, and sometimes they even, they're even tempted to give up. Have you ever been tempted to give up on doing what's right because doing what's wrong is just easier sometimes? Anybody? Fibbers. Okay. I've been tempted sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes I've been like, I don't want to be in the ministry anymore. I want to be a carpenter or something. I just want to do some kind of job where I can go do it from 9 to 5, and the devil leaves me alone when I get home. It won't work. Oh. So 
First Thessalonians is a short book. It's not very long. But three times in First Thessalonians, Paul says, encourage one another like this. Watch this. First Thessalonians 4.18 says, so encourage one another with these words. First Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. First Thessalonians 5.14. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy and encourage those who are timid. Why three times in such a little book is he saying, encourage one another, encourage one another, encourage one another? Because it's really discouraging When life gets hard, because you're doing the right thing. So three times he says, encourage each other. Guys, I want to encourage you to pray this week, Lord, who do you want me to call and encourage? Who do you want me to call and encourage? Because they're going through difficult times for doing the right thing and for choosing the right side. That's what he's saying in 1 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, It's only got three chapters. Second Thessalonians is so short, three chapters. But in those three chapters, four times he speaks blessings over the church. And the reason is it actually got worse between the time that he wrote first Thessalonians and second Thessalonians. The persecution got worse. So watch this. This is second Thessalonians one, three through seven. Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. Hey, church, you're doing great. Your love is flourishing and growing for one another. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you're suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice, to make you worthy of his kingdom. In other words, the more, the more I'm persecuted, the more I become like Jesus Christ, for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. That's good news. I want revenge. Anybody else? Yeah? Uh, Rich Mullins one time says, uh, I, he said, I know the vengeance is mine, saith the Lord but I just want to be about my father's business. (laughs) I want some revenge. By the way, good revenge against hell is depopulating it. That's good revenge against hell. So this is the revenge I want. For every time the devil reaches out a hand towards me or my family, I want a thousand souls. I want souls. I want him to regret that he ever heard my name. I want him to regret that he ever made an assignment against me because I want every time he looks up at me for him to be afraid because he knows every time he does it, I'm getting souls as my comeuppance. My vengeance is salvations. That's the revenge I want against hell. You want some revenge? Quit being a baby and get some. It says, and God will rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. In other words, it's hard right now, but you're, gonna, you're having a little hardship now. You're going to get peace later on. I'm going to get a really long nap when I get to heaven. I'm really thankful for it. So why, why are the Thessalonians getting hammered? Um, did you know that hell is territorial? Have you ever thought about that? Hell is territorial. And if you, if you step into hell's territory or if you take ground from hell, hell gets really irritated about it and wants their territory back. Let me give you an example. Do you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? In, in Sodom and Gomorrah, God sends two angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah because the place is so terrible. You, you, 
the place is so terrible that it is not possible to raise a child who knows God anymore. That's the situation in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not possible to raise a child who knows God anymore. And so he sends two angels down to find out if there is even a righteous person left in town. Now the angels show up to the city square and do you remember who invites the angels into their house? Lot. Here's what hell is looking for. When heaven shows up in the city square, who invites heaven into their house? That's what hell is looking for. When heaven shows up in the city square, who invites heaven into their house? Now, the Bible says they had dinner, and then all the men and the young men and the old men from the whole city create a mob, and they come to Lot's door. How do they know to come to Lot's door? Guys, Take off your physical sight and put on your spiritual sight for a minute. If a demonic horde is looking for somewhere to attack, all they have to do is look for angelic activity. Are you guys with me? If hell is looking for a place to attack, all they had to do is look and see where the angels were flocking. There's only one house in Sodom that had heaven in it had heaven activity in it. So when the mob came together because its territory was being threatened, it went for Lot's house because Lot had heaven activity going on in his house. When I make a decision for Jesus, I'm making a decision to have Jesus inside my house and hell outside my house, right? So what's hell going to do? Hell is going to contend for that territory. You better believe it. Hell, if it sees angelic God activity happen in your house, hell is going to try to fight back. And I'm convinced of this, guys. It was all about the kids. It was all about the kids. The reason those angels came into Lot's house was not just to save him, but his family. And he almost did the dumbest thing you can imagine. He almost traded those people his daughters. He said, don't, don't bother these two guests who come into my house. Take my daughters instead. Guys, the church has been trading our children in order to make peace with hell. Don't do it. Don't trade your kids in order to be at peace with hell. I'd rather be at war with hell here and at peace with God later in heaven. I have peace in my heart. I will have peace in eternity. And Jesus said, I've not come to give you peace. I've come to bring a sword. You're going to have a fight on your hands. Don't try to compromise your family in order to appease hell. Don't do it. If you compromise your family, you think hell will leave you alone, but they won't. They'll never stop. Hell wants everything. This is the reason that Lot's house got attacked. Now, uh, this church in 1959, this church stepped into a territory, uh, the territory of Alaska. And in 1959, it opened its doors and it said, if there is heaven activity going on in Anchorage, we want to invite that here. And since 1959, this place has been an enemy of hell. And that's why this church has come under attack. This church had its roof cave in. This church has had leadership problems. This church has had conflict. This church has had division. Why? Is it because they're bad people? No, because this church decided that it was going to be at peace with God, and so it is at enmity with hell. How did the devil know to attack this church? 
Because there's angelic activity happening all over the place. You don't have to be a smart demon to see where to attack. Just look up on the hill and see the birds flocking. There's angels flocking over this joint. There is a God who has a stairway moving up and down. Some of you guys have been recipients of the power and the salvation of Jesus Christ here. That means territory has been taken and hell is going to attack. You know you're going to a good church if it's being persecuted by hell. If you're going to a church, which I mean, I'm talking to a bunch of guys who are here right now. If you're going to a church that doesn't have any problem with hell, they have not joined the fight yet. I want to tell you, this church, I mean, we irritate people too, don't get me wrong. But this church irritates hell. This is a good place to go. Because this place is part of the fight. Come on, kids. Come on. You guys all right today? So why are the Thessalonians being persecuted? Let me just draw you a little map, okay? In, in your head, if you're looking at the Mediterranean, Israel's over here, Asia Minor's over here, the Aegean Sea is up here, and Mesopotamia and then Greece is down here. So Thessal Thessalonica is in Mesopotamia. That whole area is the Greek world, right? The Greeks. Who did the Greeks worship? Oh my gosh, like everything. They had, a, they had a God for ketchup. They had a God for everything. They had, they had Zeus, and they had Demeter, and they had Mercury, and they have, they have gods for everything. The, the Greeks were pagans, and they worshipped a bunch of demonic gods. So here comes Paul into Thessalonica, and he comes in, and he tells them about Jesus, and they were like, we would love to know Jesus. Just like Lot, they invited heaven into their neighborhood. And when they did, listen, this whole neighborhood is a demonic neighborhood. What happens when a church decides to welcome heaven activity into a demonic neighborhood? 100% guarantee you are going to be persecuted. 100%. Listen, if you don't think Alaska has territorial spirits in it, you've got to wake up. Anybody whose ancestors come from here knows Alaska has a territorial spirits in it. Everybody whose people are from here knows Alaska has territorial spirits in it. If you plant a church in this place, your enemy is going to be the demonic spirits of the land. And there's going to be persecution. Congratulations. You're doing the right thing. So watch this. This is what happened. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 8. Josh read this last week. You received the message with joy. All right. Here's, here's their first problem. The first sign that they're kicking a hornet's nest. They received the gospel. If you receive the gospel, you just picked sides. You're on God's side. You received the message with joy from, from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you've become an example to all the believers in Greece, uh-oh, through both Macedonia, Macedonia and Achaia. That's Greece. So what happened? They received Jesus with joy, even though they're being persecuted. You know what persecution does? Persecution puts your testimony on display. So suddenly, not just the Thessalonians hear the story, but all the other cities around there are hearing the story. And that ticks the devil off. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. 
even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. In other words, they stood up against such persecution that Paul would show up to an area and they already knew about the Thessalonian church. The story about these people standing up to the devil was going ahead of Paul. You guys cool? All right. So now we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read the very top of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and tell you why he reminds him of this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 He says, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit was not a failure. You know how badly we'd been treated in Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. What happened in Philippi? Yet our God gave us courage to declare the good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Why did he need courage? Why does he need to be bold? So you can see we're not preaching with any deceit or impure motives in mind. The reason that Paul needed courage and boldness is because he had PTSD. He had PTSD because he got whooped in Philippi. Let's go back. This is like a dream sequence. We're going to go back to Acts and see what happened in in Philippi. This is Acts 16, 16 through 18. Paul and Silas walk into Philippi, and they're trying to find somebody to talk to about Jesus. They get kicked out of the synagogue, so they go down to the river because women are washing their clothes at the river. It says in Acts 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer that was down by the river, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. When it says she had a spirit, that means a demon. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, that's the truth. She's telling the truth. But when she does it for like six days straight and she's doing it in a mocking tone, that probably gets pretty irritating. She was mocking them. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. You can even annoy a saint, people. (laughs) Paul became so annoyed, he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. He probably sounded like, ha, 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 in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. What just happened? Everything was going fine until they turned around and cast a demon out of a human being. Guys, it was all about that kid. It was all about that kid. That kid belonged to the devil. Paul finally had enough, and he cast a demon out of that kid. He set a kid free. He did the right thing. And what happened next was he got attacked for it, right? It says a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped, that's humiliating, and beaten with wooden rods. When they would beat you in the Greek and Roman world, they would surround you with people with, with like, like, Stick sticks, not a switch, and beat you all over your body. They just beat you. Sometimes they'd tie you to a post and just beat you all up and down the back of your legs. Sometimes they'd just let you roll around, and everywhere you rolled, they just beat you and beat you and beat you and beat you. These guys were beaten to a pulp. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. 
The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. If their feet were in stocks, they were sitting on their butt and their legs where they were just beaten. All they did was save a girl, and they made an enemy. All they did was save a girl, and they made an enemy of an entire city. Guys, when you start leading people to Jesus, you're going to know you got an enemy, but you're going to know you got a friend too. Because being the enemy of hell makes you the friend of Jesus Christ. The Bible says around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Why are they singing? Shouldn't they be complaining? Shouldn't they be whining? Listen, praise welcomes the presence of God. Praise allows God to do warfare on my behalf. What they realized was the Philippians are not my enemy. The jailer is not my enemy. My enemy is the spirit that's operating behind these people. So they ministered to God and watch what happens. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains of every prisoner fell off. Wow. Acts 16, 27 through 31. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself because if he hadn't killed himself, they would probably have crucified him. He drew his sword to kill himself, but Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself. Now listen, if this guy had just finished beating you and he was going to kill himself, you might go, just proceed. Carry on. I've never had such a beating in my life. If anyone ever deserved to die, it's you. Go for it. But that's not what they did. They said, stop, don't kill yourself. Why? Because the jailer's not their enemy. There's a spiritual enemy behind the jailer. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? The very first question, how do I get saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Listen, that first story I told you about, there was a kid that got rescued and I made an enemy. What happened in this story, he rescued a kid and he made an enemy. And what did God do after they locked him up? God set them free and he didn't just save one girl ended up saving the jailer and his entire household. Listen, Jesus is always going for your kids. All three of those stories. Why did the angels go into Lot's house? Why were the angels there to begin with? The angels were trying to save Lot's family. It was about their family. I'm, I, as I was praying about this, I was trying to figure out how to communicate this with you guys. You are going to face persecution Persecution is happening all over the world, and people have asked me for years, why doesn't the United States of America face persecution like other countries do? Uh, last week, Pastor Josh was talking about persecution going on around the world. In Sub-Sahara Africa, Muslims murder more than 10,000 people, men, women, and children, every year just for knowing Jesus. Did you know they murder people in Saudi Arabia? In Northern India, they murder people for knowing Jesus. In fact, they'll make up stuff and they'll say that they burned a Koran and then they'll wipe out an entire village just because somebody started propaganda that a Christian burned a Koran. They don't do it. They're just looking for reasons to kill these people. 
In Pakistan, they'll kill you if you're a Christian. In North Korea, they'll kill you if you're a Christian. In China, they'll bulldoze your house and they'll send you to a prison camp and they'll donate your organs to someone else if you're a Christian. In Malaysia and in Indonesia, they will kill you for being a Christian. I have friends that started a church in France and I can't even tell you some of the stuff that they went through because they were in a Muslim neighborhood. And at the end of being persecuted, over and over and over again, they loved these people and loved these people and loved these people. And the Muslims began to call them the neighborhood pastors because in the face of persecution, their children being persecuted, they didn't give up. And now people are being saved and their families coming to Christ. All over the world, there's persecution happening. So why is it easy in America to be a Christian? And as I was praying about this, I remembered everywhere along the way, Jesus was going for the kids everywhere along the way. The territory of God is, is the household of the Christian. The territory of the, of the devil is also the household of the Christian. The devil wants your house. The devil wants your marriage. The devil wants your kids. But so does the Father God. And that's why Jesus came, is so that the Father God could have your household. So I was thinking about persecution and what it looks like in the United States. We are going through persecution, but it doesn't look like the rest of the world. We're going through generational persecution. Did you know Generation X in 1973, Roe versus Wade was passed? A quarter of Generation X was never even born to come to know Jesus. 25%. That is generational persecution. Millennials, listen, guys, if you're a millennial in this house, my heart breaks for you. The church has failed you guys. The world has failed you guys. What the devil does is he takes a curse and he wraps it up like a blessing and he hands it to you. That's what abortion was. Abortion's health care. Abortion is, 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 is an option for the betterment of your life, but it's destructive and it's harmful and it takes your children. Well, the millennials, the devil had a new ploy and the new ploy was the internet. Millennials were the first generation that were raised with about me media. What that means is a millennial was raised their entire lives making profiles that were all about them on every one of the digital medium uh, sources. Instagram's all about them. Facebook's all about them. Uh, Twitter is all about them. Everything they've been raised in is all about them. So they have a perspective of the world that doesn't revolve around Christ, it revolves around themselves. Did you know that only 35% of millennials even believe in God at all? And only 2% have a biblical worldview, only 2%. And the reason is they are syncretists. That means they believe that faith is like a buffet and you can go to the buffet and say, I want some of this, I don't want that, I want a little bit of this, I like, I like a little bit of Marxism and I like a little bit of, of, I want to be a Baptist but I also want to have a little Buddhism in there. And they, their entire worldview is whatever I believe is true, I get to pile up my plate and that's truth. But if everything's true, nothing is true. So it's an entire generation that when they face trouble, they have no truth. So this generation, the millennials, are the most depressed generation in the history of America. They're the most suicidal generation in the history of America. They're the most, guys, they're the most anxious, 
in the history of America. They're the most chronically lonely in the history of America. And I don't say this to be insulting, but it's true, clinically true. They're the most narcissistic generation in the history of America. Guys, we have to reach the millennials. Only 2% of them have a biblical worldview. We need them. They're our kids. They're our children. Their hearts are important to the Father God. And who's telling them the truth? The devil attacked the millennials. And that's part of our persecution. You want to know the persecution that's going on right now? I'm going to tell you a miracle that happened. The millennials, only 35% believe in God. Only 2% have a biblical worldview. Something happened. A miracle happened. And Gen Z, Gen Z is the generation that was born between 1997 and 2012. If you're Gen Z in the house, raise your hand. 1997 to 2012. Gen Z, a miracle is happening right now. Gen Z, if you ask them if they would like to know more about Jesus, 75% of Gen Z say they want to know more about Jesus. That's nuts. In other words, Gen Z wants to know God. If you ask them if they would trust the Bible to tell them about God, 98% of them said they'll trust the Bible. Millennials don't trust the Bible. Generation X doesn't trust the Bible. For some reason, Gen Z is like, oh yeah, I'll believe that if you tell me the Bible. 88% of them say if a Christian told them about God, they'd believe him. 88% of them said if they heard about God in a church, they'd believe him. Gen Z is ripe, guys. Gen Z wants to know God. Now let me ask you a question. Why are your schools being attacked right now? The, 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 two, the two delivery systems for hell to Gen Z right now is the digital world and the school system. Listen, I'm not saying that people who work at the school system are all demonic. I'm just saying that the public school system is the devil's youth group. When you come to the youth group here, we have our problems, but the youth group here is going to tell you about a biblical worldview in Jesus Christ. If you go to school, they're going to tell you something else. Parents, you need to know that. You need to understand that. I want to tell you how our generation is being persecuted. Our generation is being persecuted because we've loved God as a nation for more than 200 years. Our generation is being persecuted the same way that Moses' generation was persecuted when his parents were forced to choose about whether or not they're going to throw their kids in the Nile. It was about the kids. The same way when Herod tried to get Jesus, he attacked the children in Bethlehem. It was about the kids. We're not being persecuted. Listen, we think we're being persecuted if somebody says something mean to me and I love Jesus. That's not the point. We think we're being persecuted if we lose our job. That may happen. That's not the point. We think we're going to lose political clout. That may happen. That's not the point. All of that is a distraction against the point. The point is your kids. The point is your children. The point is the persecution of the current generation is a devil that's taken our kids right out from under us, and we don't even know what to do about it. This is the worst thing that you can do to me is keep my kids from going to heaven with me. The worst thing you can do to me is not taking my job. The worst thing you can do to me is taking my kids. The most evil thing you can do to a child is to rob them of the opportunity to know their father, to steal their faith. That's the most evil thing. It's more evil 
to persecute a child's faith than it is to take their life. I'm convinced, not that that's not evil. Mark 10, 13 through 14 says this, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples and he said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Listen, America, let the children come to Jesus. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Matthew 18, 5 through 7. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But America, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the world who does the tempting. I I listen. I hope this connects with your heart. I hope this connects with your mind. When I decide that I'm going to make friends with Jesus, I make enmity with hell. When I decide that I'm going to invite Jesus into my home, I automatically have an enemy because that used to be his territory. And I want to tell you, all of the suffering that I go through, it hurts. It's like getting hammered over and over and over again. It's like that kid who hit me in the head with a pipe. But I want to tell you something. The point is not your job. The point is not our finances. The point is not our political differences. The point is While I'm focused on all of that stuff, the devil's trying to get my kids right out from under me. That's the point. The persecution of the modern church is the robbery of our kids. That's straight up it. I'm convinced that's straight up. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.